Second Timothy chapter three, verses fourteen to seventeen. For there, let's begin reading chapter three, verse fourteen. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. May God bless the reading of his word. Let us turn to God in prayer. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather at the end of the work week Thank you for keeping us safe, granting us strength to do our job, to care for our family, and granting us this time where we can set apart to study your word. We come acknowledging again that we have sinned against you in many ways, we are sure. Lord, that you may show to us that we may confess and repent. Lord, cleanse us and wash us in the blood of Christ. We pray that this night thou would be pleased to visit thy children and teach us from your holy word by your spirit. Be with every group as we study your word. Use the facilitators, use the program set. Lord, that you may use all of this for the sanctification of your saints, their edification and the strengthening of the church, which is the pillar of the truth. Lord, we come asking that you would remove every tiredness and distraction and help us to focus, help us to learn about you. And the more we know of you, your dealings with men. Lord, that we may glorify you in the right way by our lives. Lord, we also pray that as we study all these things, they, not, they be not just head knowledge. They would truly guide our lives, that we would subject ourselves to your word. And Father, we pray that by our lives, you may be glorified. Help us as we study this, as we go through the revision. Be with us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, we stopped at question number for our revision quiz. Question number um, 50. All right, we are just entering into question number 50. We had quite a long um, discussion on question 49. Maybe we'll visit that in another question. Now, remember the whole purpose of doing this revision is we've covered... Um, 16 chapters, I think 16, 17 chapters at least of Westminster Confession of Faith. It's very important that we do revision. We don't just finish it and then we forget what we have learned. Okay, so these are um, useful doctrines that build strong foundations. And as we go through it, if you have questions, you can raise your hand and ask. So let's do the next question. Question number 50. We, we, question number 50, justification is one, two, or three, or four, or all, or some. Um, Jason. Justification is all of them. So justification, okay, so anyone else, other answers, Ben? What is the definition of justification? We are on the chapter of justification. 
Say again. Number three and four. Yes, the answer is three and four. Right? Justification is the imputation. Means God assigns to us, impute on us, gives to us. The imputation of Christ's obedience and sacrifice to me. Justification is the believer being declared as if he has not sinned. Correct? Remember? We always say justification is just as if. So it's just if. Just as if he has not sinned. How can a believer, how can a person be justified? Justified means you're declared righteous. You're declared free from judgment. You're declared to be sinless. Now, how can anyone ever become to be declared by God as sinless and um, free from judgment? How can anyone reach that stage? The only reason why we can reach this stage is this. So please remember what justification is. If we have committed sin, sin needs to be paid for, right? And the only way for us to be declared without sin, justification is you're declared without sin. It's a legal term. You're free to go, declared without sin. Now, how can anyone ever be declared without sin unless the payment is made in full, correct? So justification is, we can be justified because Christ has paid the penalty in full. Now, there's only one part. Justification is we need to pay for the penalty of sin, right? Christ paid for it. That is one part. What is the second part? Anyone can remember? Rowena. So we have sin. Sin needs to be paid. So pay for sin. Pay for sin. So we can be justified. But there is only one part. How did Christ pay for sin? To be our sacrifice, right? To appease the wrath of God, correct? Hmm. That makes us right with God. That's one aspect, correct? What is the second aspect? Yong. You see, you keep saying those words. We, we have cliches, but we don't, we, it didn't sink into us. We can be justified. We can be justified. Think carefully. Because Christ paid for our sins, so he was our sacrifice. That's another aspect. Does this, is this enough? Okay, Grace, why is it enough? What else? This is the partner, died on the cross, paid for the sin. Very, very good. See, we have those cliches, right? We also say active obedience of Christ, passive obedience of Christ. This is active or passive? This is a passive obedience of Christ. Theologically, there's significance. And this would be, what's the active obedience? Obedience. Obedience. We, are, we can be justified, declared sinless, and continuously sinless, ready for heaven at any time because Christ's passive and active obedience was fulfilled perfectly. He paid for sin. Now, paid for sin, but there is still the obedience that we need to fulfill, that we cannot fulfill. That's why we can be said to be justified because of 
these two aspects okay so active obedience passive obedience is not just for us to do FEBC course and then feel the answer yes significance that's why Christ must live the perfect life understand that then I ask you does it mean you're justified you're freed from living a perfect life you study it afterwards of course not Christ paid so that we can be justified but after salvation we are expected to live a life of obedience okay so that is three and four it is a gift of God why is it a gift of God because we are told very clearly salvation is a gift salvation we have salvation because of justification right and it's purely a gift no matter how we try we can never fulfill anything that's why God must say free gift totally free that is why um, we study active and passive obedience next give the verse that mentions our calling and justification very popular verse very popular memory verse Romans 8.30 let's turn to Romans 8.30 notice I asked for calling and justification right let's read Romans 8.30 together moreover whom he did predestinate them he also called and whom he called them he justified also justified and whom he justified them he also glorified put a bookmark there we'll come back to this verse afterwards now this is a verse that is very clear God now this chapter is about justification eh? God called and God justifies those whom he called God doesn't just simply issue the call and then well hope that you can get saved justification is a gift because God called the effectual call remember the effectual call God call us the Holy Spirit calls us to respond when we respond God makes sure that he justifies the calling occurs first understand that because now this is you and I before we are saved before our effectual call right before the God issues the call the Holy Spirit comes and work in our heart now this is before the call then we get the call correct now scripture is very accurate we get the call and at this point then we are justified okay do you get justified before your call no there is a point now we re read that verse for whom he predestinate right for whom he predestinate correct when God predestinate have he justified in that sense um, at that point of time we look at time no he chose he called and he will justify that's why we reject the belief of a Christian can lose his salvation a Christian can lose his salvation means this justification is not effective correct means God says I, I choose to save then he issued a call then he justified but yet we can lose our salvation then the active and passive work of God 
uh, active and passive obedience of Christ is useless. So this justification is very crucial. The Christian must know at one point we are justified by what? By faith. Justified purely by God's grace. He graciously give us that. We put our faith in God's work. That's why we are justified. Okay, so please remember that. We'll come back to this again. Now, next question number 52. So Romans 8.30 is a very important verse. Uh, by the way, I want to focus on this. Now, look at Romans 8.30. Can you tell me which word is repeated? Huh? He. The word he. He is repeated again and again. This is to emphasize that there's nothing we can do to justify ourselves. Understand that. It is moreover whom he predestinated. Who chose? He chose. Who them he, he called. Who calls? He called. Not you and I respond. Huh? God called. And then he justified. He justified. And then he glorified. So our, our salvation is totally He. Okay? So when you read this verse, this word He must keep jumping out to you. It's totally God's work. We do not add, as Spurgeon said, a single stitch to God's plan of salvation. We don't add a single thing. It's totally God's work. And we must um, glorify Him for that. Um, Okay, we move first. Now, next question. We've got to move a bit faster because I really want to finish this because this is the third revision already. I want to make sure we finish. F, uh, question. Oh, oh, no, I told you the answer already. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I read that? All right, 52. The answer is F, all right? Justification of Old Testament believers were, perf were by performing the sacrifices and obeying God's law because Jesus Christ had not come to live a life of obedience and to be sacrificed for them, true or false? False. Now, why, why, the, why do we want to be clear about that? People also can get confused because you say, people say, well, Christ came here. And in the Old Testament, so they say Christ came in the New Testament. There is in many um, believers' mind that the... Um, I don't know how to draw sheep, all right? Sheep. The, 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 the sheep that they, the animals that they keep sacrificing um, was what justified them. And why it is, in their thinking, is because Christ has not come yet. So the sacrifices were what were, were the acts that caused them to be justified. So this is false, correct? This is false. Why? Because of that word, faith. When the people did that, in the New Testament, the Bible tells us very clearly, in their heart, they knew. The Holy Spirit also told them that these things signified. These things signified. These things signified means these things were not that which justifies them. They were putting their faith in Christ coming christ will finish that work that is what it is yeah, so we have to be very clear because they say um then old testament people justified at this point of time by this no they were still justified by faith in christ not in works 
it is always in Christ. Christ's work, not their work of bringing the animals and sacrificing the animals. So that is just to be very clear. Now, next page of adoption. So we move to the next chapter, right? So we finish that very quickly. Adoption. Anyone remembers when we studied the chapter on adoption, the benefits of adoption? First of all, we know adoption means God adopting us as his children, right? God adopting us as his children. Anyone remember? Some benefits? Well, the first one is we become children. <laughs> okay? I give you the easy one. We become children. Now you think of children. What are the benefits of children? Children. Say again. Can ask, can approach. Right? So that's one thing that we see in the Bible. Now we can approach God. We can approach the throne of God. We have access to the throne of God. Why does God want to say adoption? Why does God not just say, okay, you're safe? Why does God want to say, you're my children? I'm your father. To help us realize that as his children, we have access to him. We can go to him, we can ask him. What is that? Before justification, before justification, do we have access to the throne of God, to the presence of God? No, right? Now, after justification, there is a word that we learned is our. Very good. We are reconciled. We are reconciled to God. We are, there's peace, right? Christ's sacrifice has made peace between God and man. Because of that, we as children have access to God. You realize what this means? It means that prayer is purchased with a great price. We don't bother to pray at home. We don't bother to come for prayer meeting. We feel that prayer is a chore. It's like we are doing God a favor. But please know that adoption God used adoption to help us know the great privilege that we now have to come to Him. Studying theology, as I always say, must, we must understand it and then it must stir our hearts. We must realize that for this to happen, God poured out His blood. For that to happen, for us to access His throne, Christ had to pay a great price. So, use this great privilege. Treasure this great privilege. Don't look at it as a terrible duty, our family prayer time. It should be, wow, because of justification, because of reconciliation, I can talk to God. I can ask Him for help. So what's another one that we learn? I just give you the hint. <laughs> as children? Something happened to your child today. Then, what did the parents do? You quickly run there. Watch over, right? The second thing that we learned in this chapter was God will watch over His children. God will protect His children. God will provide for His children. 
Hmm? So when we studied adoption, we studied free access to God, we studied God's protection, provision and care. That is what it means, adoption. When you read adoption, whenever you come to this doctrine of adoption, when you read in the Bible, you say adoption. You read and then you just move on. It must move your heart. At one time, I read a few... Um, uh, we call that autobiographies of uh, people who set up uh, orphanages, orphanage mission work, right? And very often they mention the children, how they were left in the streets, um, they, were, they didn't have food, many of them were diseased, many of them were cold, many of them were um, physically abused. They were homeless. No one cared for them. But the moment they were adopted, you see the joy, the gratefulness, the thankfulness that these children have. We don't understand that. Because we, we always have lots. We don't understand these lots came from God. It's when they went through that. Then for them just to be able to sleep in a warm bed, just to be away from, from rats biting them, from suddenly being raped, they now have a room to be safe in. You know how much they treasure this word, I am adopted? They can only look at other children and envy them and hope that they have a father or a mother. Now when God used this word adoption, this is what must come to our minds, our hearts. Stir us. Not, okay, we learn adoption and that's it. Right? So God chose words that, must, that we should think about. God said, you're my children. We were sinful, um, unclean, full of sin, and God reached out and adopted us. I hope we remember that. Therefore, we must love Him in return. Be thankful for everything. Draw close to Him. Treasure that. Hmm? It'd be strange to see the adopted often want to run back to the streets. Right? But that's very often how we are. Now, next. So th those are the benefits. Um, question 54. Will God unadopt us? If there's such a word, when we sin, Shelley, Shelley, will God unadopt us? No. So, what does He do instead? He chastises us. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 to 6 to 8. Okay, let's read verses 6 to 8. Or to, to nine actually. Let's read six to nine together. Hebrews twelve, six to nine. For whom the Lord loveth, he chastiseth chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chasten chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, 
we have fathers of our flesh which correct us and we gave them reverence shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live so here we must remember that God chastiseth, scourgeth and chastiseth every son whom he receiveth. Verse 6. Means every child that God adopts, God will chasten when we stray, when we disobey. God will even scourge. Very strong word. Remember we studied this word scourge during, um, during Good Friday? God scourge. And the reason is given because he loves. Because he loves. Verse 6. Because he loves. We do not subscribe to losing salvation. But we also do not subscribe to the one safe, always safe, and therefore we can live as we wish. Actually, you can. You can live as you wish. The only thing is you keep getting chastening. <laughs> All right? Now, so once God adopts us, God says, I will love you like my own child. I won't unadopt you when you, when you disobey, but I will chasten. I will chasten. Why does God want to tell us that? Terry, why do you think God wants to tell you that? Well, number one, God wants us to know that he will not cast us back into the streets, to the dogs. He will keep us as his children, right? What else? Why else? Or why do you think it's important that the Christian understand this part? Terry. Like you read this, what, what does it do to you? Say again. Act as a warning. Very good. Act as a warning. In other words, while we think of justification, wow, I am, I am ready to go to heaven. Just we think of uh, adoption. God loves me. God protects me. But God also wants us to be aware. That's a warning. In other words, the point I want to make is we must recognize when we are chastised. We must recognize when chastisement is occurring in our lives. You know, it's pointless uh, if, a, if, a, if a father keeps chastening the child, chastening the child, and then the child have, just don't understand it, don't care about it, and just keep going on. No use, right? The whole point is to cause the child to be purer. So as a child, the point for the child is we must recognize chastening. Sometimes things... There are, I put it the other way, there are Christians who go through their life with a lot of problems. Things are failing, falling apart from health, finances, um, family, um, everything that they do, just crashing. Life is just in a mess. But because of the form of Christianity that teaches God is only love, which is true, but ignoring that God will also chastise because His love, the wrong kind of love that's propounded, God does not chastise. God only wants to bless. Then the Christian stops recognizing. The Christian can keep going on in sin, on and on and on and on in sin, 
and never understand that God is chastening. That is a very dangerous life. So we must recognize. We keep having this discussion. Now, does it mean that every time someone falls sick, every time something goes wrong in someone's life, the person is being chastened? Ooh, being chastened. Something wrong with the person's life. Then we go say, do you recognize this is chastening? Do we do that? It's not about that. Now, God also says that He allows trials to some Christian's life to purify their faith, correct? Make them more patient. So God allows. So when do you know whether it's chastisement or God um, using that? It means the person has not sinned like Job, but God using that to refine the faith. How do you know? How do you know? How would you know? Rachel, how would you know? How would you know this is chastening or this is, this is refining? Even that chastening is refining. How do you know this? I have sinned and God is dealing with me. I better recognize it and repent. Or God is using this to train me up. How do you know? Check your life, how you have been walking. That's correct. Now, very often Christians say, don't know, not sure, is this chastening and all that? I believe that the Christian will know. God will not chastise you and, 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 and then you have no conviction in your heart. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit will cause us to know that this chastening is because of sin or this chastening after examining our lives this as far as you know honestly before God you, you, you have repented of known sins you're not holding on to any sin God is helping you to grow okay the Christian will know because people always ask how do you know how do you know? sometimes I say stop asking how do you stop asking how do you know is the person's life the person will know sometimes we are we are busy bodies um, this verse is not for us to go and look at other people's life and say who is God chastening because of sin this verse is for us to look at ourselves and examine our own lives we will know you will know I'm sure I know many times whether it's because of something that I've not dealt with or something that God is just using it to help me grow the Christian will know any question no all right so do examine now there are people who would not examine now this this verses is God telling us I will not leave you alone understand that I will not leave you alone because I am a loving father I will act I will act it means that for the Christian please please be honest do not you can fool church leaders you can fool even your husband and wife but you can't fool God all right so deal with the sin when God is chastening repent recognize it and repent the next one 55 let's go draw the process of salvation from election to our final state in heaven we studied this many times who want to try um whoever now ask sujin very good election followed by not yet 
Just now I drew. God elected you. And then there is the call. Very good. That's the calling. And for the Christian, it is not the general, it is more than the general call, it's the effectual call, right? Where it's an irresistible call. And then, so God, before the foundation of the world, called us, chose us at a certain point in your life. How old is this, this world, roughly? About 6,000 years. Yeah, about 6,000 years. So do you realize, now, if, if you're safe, Grace, are you saved? You believe, you're safe. So Grace, do you realize that Grace Lu, 6,000 over years before that, God already decided that He will save you. And when did you get saved? Ten years ago, maybe. And for a few years back, few years back ago, the, then the call was issued to you, effectually. All right, so after calling, um, okay, move on from Sujin. Douglas? Justification, very good. Just now we studied. Justification. So God called, we believe, and at that point we are justified. Now, does this take some time? God call us, effectively, then we respond. Then God wait for maybe test, test you for five years first, then justify you. No, this thing will happen simultaneously. Okay, simultaneously. And at this point, something happens. You are, um, Alex, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? You are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. I know it's a long week. <laughs> right? You are baptized by the Holy Spirit at this point. Think carefully. You're baptized by... The, so, at this point, we believe in God, we turn to Him, and then we are justified, and then we are, the, the Holy Spirit will baptize us. We are baptized by... Very good. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. All right? So, we also studied that. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. God baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Then we are saved. Okay, now after justification... My drawing is out of the board already. Uh, um, Valerie? Very good. Sanctification. Alright, and after sanctification, glorification. Go up also good. Alright, glorification. This is made up by me. No. Let's turn to Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30. Let's read together. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. This is the calling, predestination. Then he also called. Then we have the calling. Whom he called, he also justified. We have justification. Whom he justified, he, then he also glorified. They have the glorification. Okay, what about um, the sanctification? Now, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Let us read verses um, 3 and 4. Let's read together. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, 
that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Then read verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The Bible tells us that God hath not called us, verse 7, to uncleanness, but to holiness. Now, this word holiness is, the same, is from the same root word as sanctification. Actually, whenever you read in the Bible, uh, sanctification or sanctify, holy, the saints, believers, the saints, um, these are all from the same root word, hagios. Alright? So, this God hath not called us so God's calling, God's calling, okay, listen carefully, eh? God's calling is for us to be unclean. No, God's calling is for us to be sanctified, to be holy. God's calling of a Christian is for holiness, for sanctification. God called us to sanctification, to holiness. I want to, before I move to all this, I want to give you the verses. Huh? So, this one, yeah, I hope you keep all this paper because one day someone asks you, at least you can pull it out and, oh, okay, I remember. Hmm? If someone said, no, God did not elect us. Because there is this belief, God did not elect. Now, people are still, well, it depends whether you believe or not. So, God is still hoping that people believe. You understand what is sanctification, right? Sanctification, uh, Election, right? Election means God already decided, you know. Let's turn um, to Ephesians chapter 1, verse... Um, Ephesians 1, verse 4. Let's read together. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy... And without blame before him in love. Now, here is a verse that tells us before God even laid the foundation of the world, before the world was formed, God already decided to save Howard, pay, and, and so on. Before he even formed the world, the foundation of the world. And his purpose is for holiness. Okay? Please don't miss that. So that is one verse. Turn to Romans 9:11. So I want you to write Ephesians 1.4, Romans 9.11. Now, the question is, on what basis did God decide to save Ben or Ming Ming? On what basis did God decide? Here, let's read Romans 9.11 together. For the children being not yet born neither having any done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Please write this down and remember why God chose you. Pay, why did God chose you? Why did God choose you choose to save you? Look at the verse. Why did God choose you? Any reason? No reason, right? Simply, 
how does our election stand? Not of works. He said, before you and I were born. In other words, God said, before you were even born, I've decided to save you. Before you even had any chance, before you even decided to do anything good or evil, I chose you. And the reason why God bring that up, you look at your verse, so that election might stand not on works, but of him that calleth. Means it's totally dependent on God. God simply decided to save you not because he knew that you're going to be born and you're going to do something good, you're going to believe him. He simply, it stands based on his choice. That's all. So these verses, I hope it, it gets ingrained in you. You write it on this chart. Every time, every time people ask, you have doubt, read this. That's why we say Arminianism is wrong. Remember we studied the last time we talked a lot about Arminianism. Arminianism talks about prevalent, prevenient grace means, means God God help you. Alright, God help you. But then after that, you choose to choose. It is not like that. It's purely God that works. We'll see more of that. Now, the next one. Alright, so we've looked at the verses for justification. Now, we saw sanctification, right? Look at Romans 11.6 first. Romans 11.6. Okay, Romans 11.5 and 6. Shall we read Romans 11.5 and 6? Even so, then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to election of grace. And if by grace then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So this again, Romans 11, again re-emphasizes that God justifies us. God justifies us purely by grace. Not of works at all. You see this election in verse 5, Romans 11, 5, what is the word that is used? It's called election of grace, correct? Election of grace. And this election of grace is nothing to do with works. That's why I say it's called election of grace. That's it. So I hope this um, settles one, once and for all. Anyone who says, we, we chose God. Anyone who says, God looked down the channel of time and in the channel of time when he looked, he, he saw that Oh, Cheryl was going to believe me. Since Cheryl is going to believe me, I decide to choose Cheryl. No. In fact, um, the next part, which I have no more space to write, I want to ask you this question. Um, God, effect, should, uh, God elected purely not because he he knew that you were going to choose him. But I ask you this question. Why must God elect? Why must God elect? And how does he call? Why must God elect you? Why must God choose to save you? And why must God issue an effectual call? God must himself come in and change you. Actually, do you believe that God come in and change you? Or you think that you chose God? You believe God changed you, okay? Now, let us, let us write some verses here. 
Romans 3, Romans 3, 10 to 12. All right, Romans 3, 10 to 12. Shall we just read Romans 3, 10 to 12? As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. It's because of this. God says not a single soul will ever choose Him. Not a single soul will ever believe Him. If He don't elect, you know what it means? If He don't choose, it means none will be saved. Because of this behavior of fallen men, God must choose. And the proof that God not only choose, He must come in and work in you. Because some of us may feel that I'm pretty good. Actually, I chose God. Maybe some of us knew how bad we were. Turn to John 6.44. John 6.44. Okay, John 6, 44. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44. Can we read together? No man can come to me. Again, no, uh, again, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. God says again, he uses the word no man. No, not one. No, not one. No man will come, no man will come to God the Father except God draw him. That's why we call this the effectual call. God draw him. Pull him. That's why it's called a what kind of call? Irresistible call. It's irresistible call. And God says, God draw and notice it ends, I will raise him. I will raise him. God draw and he will raise. Glorification. It is a complete process. Why I want to emphasize this is this. The group that does not believe in irresistible call and irresistible call, what do they believe? They believe that God calls. Alright? They believe that God calls the Armenians. They believe that God does call. But after God has called, it depends whether men want to believe or not. Actually, how many of you grew up like that? I grew up most of my Christian life like that. I thought God called and then I choose to believe. So the belief is God will call, but it depends whether men will respond. But this verse tells us when God calls, Mr. A, he will raise Mr. A. What does it mean? Whoever God calls will believe. Otherwise, why would God raise him? The resurrection of life, you know. So this verse tells us that this call is not God called and then, well, too bad, lah. some did not want to believe. Some chose to believe. No, whoever God called, whoever God draws by his calling, he will save because, he will raise because he will save. It means this. Salvation is, God's plan of salvation is 
how many percent successful? 100% successful. God's plan of salvation will never miss. It is not God chose last before foundation of the world. Then he keep calling. Well, please, I hope you all will believe me. Some believe at least. Come, come, come. No, God says who he call, who he draw, he will raise. Means it's 100% success rate. God's calling does not miss. Okay, so isn't it very good? Salvation, um, going for evangelism. It's very good because your evangelism is 100% no? success rate. If that day you meet all the uncalled, it's still 100%. <laughs> that day you meet out of 100 people, you give up one track, and that was the call. It's God says, whoever I draw, no man can come, but whoever God draws, I will raise him on that day. Now, this is the assurance of salvation. Do you understand that? The assurance of salvation and the joy of service. Um, Fiona is not here. Fiona's friends came for the session one, revision. And after the session, they had a lot of questions, good questions, and they asked, um, if, if, God, if, the, if God elects, um, then it is no impetus to go and do evangelism. Because who draws? God draws, correct? Not you draw, huh? Not because we stand at the street and then we keep shouting and then they come. God says, the Father draws, right? The Father is the one who draws. If the Father, and then just don't we read, He, 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 <laughs> is He, right? If it's He, then why bother to go for evangelism? Howard? Okay, number one, because it's a commandment. Okay, because it's a commandment, that's, that's one. Um, so ours is to obey God's commandment. Um, but what else? What do you think, um, Rowena? Since God is the one who calls, God is the one who draws, and it's he, 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 then why do we go for evangelism? Very good. So number one, it's our command to go. So we go, right? And it is a privilege to be used of God to, when God intend to call that person that day, God intend to issue that call that day to that person, you go and God says, like, like the, um, the servant said, I being in the way, right? It's the great privilege to be there and God says, all right, Rowena, you're there, I'm going to use you. It's a great privilege, you know, to be part of God's plan. When God did it before the foundation of the world, going to save Rowena. Rowena, who led you to Christ? Say again. Sunday school. Sunday school teacher. And then the Sunday school teacher, you say, will you be a Sunday school teacher? Yes. Then the Sunday school teacher became Sunday school teacher. And the Sunday school teacher, at that morning, God says, I'm going to issue the call to Rowena. And he, being in the way, was used the great privilege to be part of God's plan in saving a soul from hell forever and ever. So I shared with them, and I've shared with you this before, and then they began to understand, because they, they never heard of election, and they were resistant to election, and said, no, cannot, it, it doesn't work, yeah? God has also appointed someone to talk to a person, 
Um, what do you think? Say again? It can be a booklet, right? It can be a track on the floor, right? So it can be any means. That's why we give out track, don't get discouraged when the track gets thrown on the floor. Because it's meant for someone to pick up and get saved. God works out his means. It can be man, it can be something. But those that say, well, if God elects, when is evangelism? This Sunday or next Sunday? Next Sunday, God elect, ah, let Adrian and Tim go. Lah, you know? Anyway, people will get saved. Then what? God may say, I want to use you, but you don't want that privilege. And then you throw away that great privilege. You throw away that great reward that you will have. You throw it away. That's it. So God can appoint, can you resist? Oh, you're going to go to next. So, this, this call is called what? Call? Irresistible call, right? Is there a resistible call? In the believer's life? We come to it afterwards. We come to it afterwards. And to confirm this, that we had nothing to do with it. Can you please write here? John 1, 12 to 13. I want us to read this. John 1, 12 to 13. Just in case you still have this thing in you, but you won't admit, no, actually, that day I remember I chose God. Let's read John 1, 12 to 13 together. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, adoption, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, if you don't read verse 13, so sometimes they'll show you verse 12. They say, you see, why people get saved is because they chose to believe in God. Then you ask them to read verse 13. God clarified. Not because you, want, you and I want to believe. We are saved not by the will of the flesh. Our flesh did not will to choose God. Our flesh did not will to believe in God. God said, no, not one. Seeketh after him. No, not one will believe. Not the will of man. Not the will of your flesh. Nor the will of the Sunday school teacher that shove the gospel down Rowena's throat. <laughs> Some people say, I'm the one, you know, I led so-and-so to Christ. I led so-and-so, I led so-and-so. Then we must read this verse and remind ourselves, don't say that anymore. It's not because I chose to go for evangelism, I chose to be Sunday school teacher, that we, I, I, I took the person out and had dinner with the person, and I, I preached the gospel, I, my will. God says, no, not the will of man. God is the one. He said, but of God. Okay? So, now, I always spend time on this because, you notice I spent a fair bit of time explaining this, right? The previous one also. For one very important reason. Now, you think about this. When did God elect you? We read, before the foundation of the world, right? Who came to die for your sins? Christ. 
Why are you and I justified because of his active and passive obedience? We just studied all those things, right? The worst thing that a Christian can ever have is the wrong understanding of how we are saved. To think that we had something to do with choosing God. To think that when God chose us at that time, He saw that we were actually going to choose Him. It's the worst um, understanding. Remember WCF, why are we studying this? To have a clear understanding of God and how He works. Right? Actually, I'll ask you a question. Uh. Why do you study God's Word? Um, let me ask. Uh, um, Phyllis, why do you study God's Word? To know His will. Why do you want to know His will? So that we know how to obey. Why do you want to obey? Okay, we come to all those questions when we come to sanctification. But up to here, I want us to be rock solid clear. It's all of God. Never a single minute thought that we had something to do with it. It was still the glory from God. It's very sad if we ever think like that because many Christians to today still say election is God knew I would believe that's why God chose me and all those things. It's a great affront to God who planned all this from before the foundation of the world and Christ dying for us. Okay? Now, why do I spend time here also? I keep talking about sanctification, justification, is this. When, how many times, when did this happen? And how many times did it happen? Once. In the past. When did this happen? And how many times did it ha- does it happen? Once. In the past. Right? This, once, in the past, if you're saved, if you're a safe person. This is what? Is the majority, yeah, two part, not yet. The majority of our life. That is the next section. Let's go to the two part. Okay, so next question. Sanctification, chapter 13, page, um, question 55. Right, so now we move to this part, sanctification. Sanctification. Um, what is sanctification? Anyone remember? You are you want to try? Say again, set apart. The word sanctification means set apart. It is the same word as what, Jason? Same word as start with H. Holy. Same word. Sanctification, holy. That is what it means. Now, why do I always want you to remember the word set apart? Or holy? Because... Now, if I keep saying, be holy, be holy, be holy, do you get some idea what it is? Say, holy means what? Okay, I'll be holy. But we dare not ask. What do you want me to be holy? But what does it look like? The word in its um, um, root meaning means set apart. So it's good. We remember that. Means, I say, whenever you read God says, be holy, think of this. I must set myself apart. Set myself apart from the world set myself apart from sin, you want to watch something, you want to, you want to do something, you're thinking of something, you say, I must be holy straight away, I must set up myself apart from this thing. Biblical separation. Set apart to what? To God. 
Okay, so this whole concept of set apart is purity. You set apart for what? We can be just set apart to be moral. No, it's to be pure towards God. Okay, so this word, I hope you find it useful to understand what it means. Every time you want to join something, you want to do something, and you know that is sin, you say, set apart, holy, sanctify. Okay, so we have that. Now here, um, sanctification, a few words that we learned there is um, regeneration, your group name. <laughs> Alright, regeneration. You're set apart because you're regenerated now. So we're talking about new heart, new spirit, new walk. So we studied all this. New heart, new spirit, new walk. When you say I'm set apart, these things are regenerated in you. Okay, so that's why I said yes. Yes, very good question. So that is the next question. But first of all, we know that sanctification means holy, means regenerated, set apart to this new spirit, new heart, um, new walk. Okay? So now, Val Valerie asks, has it to do with righteousness? Okay, has it to do with righteousness? So now we come to question number 57. Name two kinds of sanctification classified in the Bible. Um, anyone? We all know, right? Justification, then sanctification. Alright? Sanctification. One is positional. Right? We study in the Bible. One is positional. The other is progressive. Sanctification. So when we did this chapter, we covered that. What is positional? Positional means at the point you believe in Christ and you're baptized with the Holy Ghost, you're justified, at that very point, God set you apart as his adopted child. You're declared without sin. God has set you apart for heaven. means at that moment, you die. You say, I believe in the Lord Jesus, so you pray, and Lord, please save me, I believe you. You're the only true God, save me, and then you have a heart attack and die. You will go to heaven because God has already set you apart, okay? As his child. So that's the positional um, sanctification. It happens once, and then you are declared righteous. Alright? And who's righteous? We studied justification. Christ's righteousness, right? Christ's perfect obedience. We study that word. God imputes Christ's righteousness to us. So at that point, Christ's righteousness, how come Christ has righteousness? Because he obeyed the law perfectly, right? Christ's perfect obedience of the law, his that righteousness, he imputes to you. It's yours. That's why we can be called sanctified. We are set apart. Okay? Why you must understand this? Because this gives us assurance of our salvation. If you keep wondering, um, I remember someone, someone's husband was here a few months with us. Um, for many years, he was a Christian. Then I asked him, are you sure of your salvation? He said, mm, not sure. I said, uh, how, how come? He said, well, I'm, I don't have a very righteous life yet. Okay? I still feel that I'm not very righteous. Many things that God wants me to do, 
Um, I, I've not done, so I'm not very righteous, so I don't think I, I'm saved. Because of the failure to understand. So I ask you, do you believe Jesus Christ is the only God? Yes. Do you believe that there is no other way to heaven except through Him? Yes. Do you believe that um, you need, you're a sinner and you need to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and repent of your sins? You say, absolutely. I say, since, since you, have you asked Jesus Christ to save you? Yes. I say, since then, have you known a change in your life? You say, yes, I, I, I really avoid sin, but I'm not very righteous still. Many things I see other Christians do, I'm still not there. Why? Because of failure to understand positional sanctification. What's a classic case of positional sanctification in the Bible? The dying thief next to Christ, right? He didn't have to come down. Why can he be saved? Because he's positionally sanctified. Failure to understand and separate this in our mind can cause a Christian to live his Christian life for a long time in terror, fear, and never grow. When he understood that, now I'm not forcing to say, I'm saved. <laughs> I say, you have to settle this. When he settled this, he began to grow. He began to read books about VPP himself. Before, before that, he said, what for? I read all these things. I don't even know I'm saved. <laughs> Why do I bother about these things? Once he is sure of his salvation, he started to read and he started to grow. Paul said, we need to lay aside the doctrines of baptism, repentance and all that. Is Paul saying those are not important? No, he says, fix it and move on. Right? So this is important. Now, progressive sanctification. Next one. This is progressive sanctification. Progressive means we need to grow. We need to how do you become progressively sanctified? By obeying God's word. Correct? So, in order for you to be positionally purer and purer is obey God's word. What does it mean? Eh? When you're a young Christian, you, just, you, you, have, you learn, oh, um, lying is sin. Hmm? Lying is sin. And then as you grow a bit more, you realize, oh, white lies are also sin. I had a long walk with someone recently and he was asking a lot of excuses, a new, new Christian, just, 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 became, just came to know Christ. A lot of questions, very innocent questions. But at the end of the talk, I say, how? He say, yes, now I understand and I cleared up a lot of things. I say, the question is this, are you going to obey? <laughs> Sanctification is God will in your life. Now you are saved already but because of the flesh we studied there is still the flesh right we will still fall into sin we will still face temptation and that is where progressively become more and more christ-like that is what god wants huh? it means that every time god begins to show you and i from his word this thing is sin hopefully your friend began to understand oh god's word say um, our wives be keepers at home. They say, oh, I didn't know that. Now I know. Or we may learn something else. Do not um, do this or that. Then we say, oh, now I know. Then we obey. Then we know progressive sanctification, growing is happening to us. Okay? You're increasing in righteousness. Right or not? 
But then I thought we, we need to be righteous. You have positional righteousness imputed. Now we come to that question. Is positional sanctification irresistible? Pay. Is positional sanctification irresistible? It is. It is part of God's irresistible call. Call us, wash us, bathe us. Like some of you have dogs, dogs don't want to be bathed. They struggle. God say, I wash you, I clean you up. Hmm? Change our heart. Then we like to be bathed again. We like to bathe, like to bathe from then on. That is irresistible. Is progressive sanctification irresistible? No. That is where we must do what? Walk in the Spirit. We study a few months in prayer meeting. It's because of this. I go back. Once in the past, once in the past, once in the past, this is what we focus on on earth. Understand that? That's why Paul says, lay aside doctrine of repentance, of baptism and all that. He says, fix that. Grow. Why I want to say this is, churches can focus a whole lot on this. I'm not saying it's wrong, but when we just keep talking about evangelism, um, leading people to Christ, outreaches, all important. But we cannot miss out this which is actually the majority part of the Christian life. This is one part, agreed. This is something we must do, agreed. But this is where the Christian cannot neglect. That's why if we stop preaching and teaching, exposing sin, dealing with sins in our lives at the pulpit, then it's pointless. We miss this whole part which God wants us. Why God leave you and I on earth when we can go to heaven straight away, right? Why God you leave you and I on earth is because you, your family, your children, this is where God says, be sanctified. That is where we must not neglect. Um, oh, let's go quickly. Okay, I think I've covered that enough. 50, 57, covered already. 58, covered. What is the role of believer in ongoing sanctification? To walk in the Spirit, to obey God. Hmm. I know some of you have this in mind because someone asked me. So now I ask you this question. Some of us in our heart is like that. I'm going to heaven already. I know uh, Pastor always say it's about sanctification. Majority of the Bible covers sanctification of the Christian walk. That is our life on earth. But actually, I'm going to heaven already. Don't have to be so holy. Huh? Some so secretly in us we say that, right? Maybe that's why most of the time people don't come for church activities, don't serve, don't obey God, just live their own life in the world. So, this is irresistible, right? This is resistible. Now, what happens when, it's, when you resist? God says, serve in church, do this. God says, obey me. God says, bring up your children like that. Now, you choose not to. You choose not to. You say, 
anyway, my children, depends lah, they are God's calling, God called them, that means they are safe already. Huh? So I just live as I wish. And if my children whether safe or not, no need to keep bringing them to church. Ah, because I also want to stay at home and watch TV. So we begin to think like that in our heart. We can don't obey. Will God's purpose be not fulfilled? Because we resist, right? God's purpose will always be fulfilled. Understand? If God wants this to be achieved in church, everyone wants to serve, it will still be achieved. Hmm? But what happens is when you and I resist, don't think that God's purpose will be, will be, will be um, 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 affected. What is affected is our own growth, our own walk, and we will begin to reap problems in our life because of the concept of what? Chastisement. Chastisement. We'll see more after. All right? So let's move quickly. Now, 59, does it mean, does struggling with sin mean that I'm not saved? Someone asked me that question, so I put it here. No. Because some people say, I'm still struggling with, with sin. Now, is the difference between, you're not, in fact, you're not struggling with sin, and maybe you're not saved. <laughs> means you say, I, I don't care, I just keep sinning this sin, sinning that sin. Is when you struggle. So some young Christians, they struggle. They say, but you know, very often I still fall back to this sin. But I say, is this something that you love and keep going back and don't, don't want to give up? Say, no. But I'm struggling with it. I doubt my salvation. Um, remember, positional sanctification. Progressive sanctification, we will always struggle with the flesh. Understand that. Okay? But when you keep obeying, you will grow. Move quickly. Number 60. On saving faith. State the three elements of saving faith. I really want to finish this. Must finish this tonight. Saving faith. So when we cover this chapter about salvation, are you saved, Jason? How do you know? I believe in Christ. There are three elements. Because I faith in God. I, I put my faith in God. Then we studied in this chapter, there are three elements that must be present in genuine saving faith. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2 and then you tell me what they are. Acts chapter 2. This is useful because it helps you to preach the gospel. It helps you to know what to focus on. Acts chapter 2, can you read? Now, these people wanted to be Save. Look at verse 37. Shall we read verse 37? Now, Acts 2, 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? They want to know how to be saved. So there are three things in there. They want to believe in God. But three things were present. In fact, these people, 3,000 people were saved. What's the first one? Huh? They heard this. They heard this, right? Means they learned something. They learned something, right? They learned something. They heard and then they believe. They heard the truth. And then what? They were pricked in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. And what was their question? What shall we do? And then they were saved. 3,000 over. They had faith. 
What is saving faith? Saving faith always have these three elements. Actually, I did the children's, children's action with you already. Please remember. We always say children have action song because they cannot remember. So, what's the first one? I went through the action. I embarrassed myself by going through the action with you already. Huh? The? No, start from the beginning. Say again. The? Very good. The head. This is knowledge. They heard and they understood. What's knowledge? After that, goes down to? Very good. The heart. The heart. The belief, the conviction. The embracing, full-hearted embracing of it. Right? And then, there are people who have knowledge. They understand the gospel clearer than you and I. They can explain it back. In their heart, they also believe this is true. All other religions are false. But there's one last thing that's a problem. The, the will. The will. They're not willing. They don't want. Maybe later, when I'm older, when I am retired, I'm not willing to give up this sin. I know Jesus is true. I understand how to be saved. My heart really believes only Jesus can save. And then, but they're not willing. Alright? These are the three elements. What will we do? They're willing. Just tell me what to do. Hmm? So, this is saving faith. Please remember. The knowledge... Now, this knowledge must be the right knowledge, right? If you believe in false gospel, can be saved. No use. You see, very sincere, you believe in the wrong thing, you can't be saved. Now, let's move. 61. My faith is... Jason, 61. Number two, very good. My faith is a gift of God without which I will not believe in the first place. Now, you just write down, let me move, alright? You can go back and read. Ephesians 2.8 and John 6.65. Okay, that's, that's what you can write there. And then next, to understand scriptures, now we talk about faith in God's word. What are the answers? Rachel. One, two, three, one and two, two and three, one and three. None of the above. One, definitely, yes, correct. Any more? Three, very good. One and three. You must believe, actually I wrote wrongly, I must first believe, not believe first. I must first believe that all within it is true. When I first came to Perth, um, someone's parent came up to me and he had many questions. And every time the question is, actually, do you think this is possible? Actually, do you think this is true? Actually, do you think this is scientifically um, viable? The Christian's faith in the Bible is this. Everything written from cover to from from the first word to the last word is true without a shadow of doubt. If anything there in there can't be explained by me or by science, it is still true. That is faith. When you read books, be very careful. Right? So that is faith in God's word. Now, is all truth God's truth? Read Terry. Is all truth God's truth? No. Is God's truth all truth? Yes. Okay, so please remember. Not all truth is God's truth. Because there are Christians who insist all truth is God's truth. Means if this way of doing things in the world works, then it is something true because it works. To them, the definition of truth means it works. If it works, it is truth. And therefore, the church should adopt it. It must be God's truth. Not true. All right? So next, 
I must see to believe or believe to see? I must believe only when you believe that everything in the Bible is true. Then you will begin to understand. Then God will begin to open your mind. But if you approach it, I will, I, until I experience and see, then I believe, God will withhold. Understand? Why everyone looks so blank? Okay, Rachel? Alright, so... Now, actually, I saw this big banner outside a church gospel meeting once. And it says, and it actually says, seeing is believing. I was like, that is not faith. The Christian faith is opposite. Believing, then you will see. Until you fully submit to God, you won't see. Now, next. Number 63. What do you think is the right answer? Um, Phyllis. Or Howard. Howard. Number three, very good. Any more? Number four also, right? So three and four. Three and four. Now, this is one verse that confused many Christians for a long time. But actually, it's very simply resolved, you know. You turn to James 2. I want you to be so clear. If any Roman Catholics use this verse to challenge you, which they do, this is one of their favorite verses. Rome, uh, James chapter 2, verse 20. James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Oh, James chapter 2. Now, you look from verses 14 all the way to 26. What is one word that keeps repeating? Faith. Alright, you see faith, 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 faith. Okay, you see um, he keeps talking about faith. Verse 17, even so, if faith. And then verse 18, he will say faith again. And then um, verse, uh, what's that? Verse 23, which is about belief, which is about faith. Then 24, faith. 25, um, uh, 20, 26, faith. Is, Paul, is James talking about salvation or is James talking about faith? James is talking about faith. Understand that. Because the Roman Catholics will always use this and say, look, to be saved, you must have works. Hmm? Then you need to explain, James was not talking about salvation. James was addressing faith. James was addressing what kind of faith brings salvation? Now, repeat, huh? James is not talking about being saved by works. James is talking about what kind of faith brings salvation. Because it's very, very clear there. Um, now, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it had not works, is dead. He's, he's talking about dead faith. The wrong kind of faith. He's not talking about whether you're saved or not. He's talking dead faith. Now, then he says, verse 18, you say, you have faith, I have faith, but I will show you my faith with works. He's talking about what kind of faith? The faith that is without works or the kind of faith that is with works? Then you see, and we, we can keep 
talking about this, but look at all the way to 26. Then he finalized, he summarized it by saying, the body without spirit is dead, faith without works is dead also. He's talking about dead faith. He's not talking about salvation at all. Dead faith cannot save. That's what he's talking about. Okay, so I hope that settles once and for all in your heart and you can explain to them. Um, hopefully then they understand. He's talking about faith that cannot save you. False faith. In other words, true salvation will always be accompanied by fruit. That's all. Let's move next. Um, 64, name two categories of faith. There is objective faith and subjective faith. Correct? Objective faith and subjective faith. Objective faith is the system of the Christian belief. What is subjective faith? Your trust in God. Hmm? Your, or some call it experiential faith. Your trust in God. So one is about the system of beliefs. One is about your trust in God. Now, how can a believer increase his faith? Romans 10.17 Romans 10.17 is what? Faith comes by hearing Hearing by the word of God So you want to increase your faith? Both objective and subjective Read God's word Study God's word If not, don't wonder why our faith don't grow But here I want to emphasize one thing We come back to that point there is the subjective faith that, well, we must grow in our objective faith, correct? Objective faith affects your subjective faith, right? We always say that. Knowing the doctrines affect your beliefs and your trust in God. The more you know about God, the more you realize who He is, the more easy it is for you to trust Him with all your heart. How does a Christian increase his subjective faith? Now, objective faith, easy, right? So, I mean, relatively easy. Study God's Word faithfully, come for Bible studies, take FEBC courses, read. Now, grow. That's easy. Young, how to grow subjective faith? Always recall, that's one, yes. Remember, then you say, ah, oh, those situations, God, when I obeyed God, it will always be fine, right? Then remembering help us. Now, Turn to James. I want us to understand this because when we were covering this, we also um, reminded ourselves of this. James chapter 1. Can we read verse, verses 2 and verse 3? Can we read together? 2 to, two to 4, sorry. 2 to 4, reading together. My brethren, count you all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Now notice the word faith there. The trials, the temptations, they are for the trying of your faith, the testing, the refining of your faith. You want your faith, your subjective faith, experiential faith to grow, then pray for trials. That is what it is. You want to grow in God's Word? Read more of God's Word, right? Study more. So you want your experiential faith to grow? Then don't run away from God's ordained challenges in your life. Christians can keep growing in their objective faith. But you know how we won't grow in our subjective faith? 
the moment you are faced with a test, because trying of your faith is, means what? Test of your faith, right? The moment you are faced with a test, you run away. You give up, you choose the easy way out. You avoid it. By falling into, by giving up and, and sinning, or just totally avoiding the thing. Maybe um, God called you to do something in church. Then you look at it, oh, it's going to be difficult, it's going to be trying, it's going to be painful. I don't do. Then you never experience your faith, your experiential faith growing. It's as you do, you face difficulty, you see God helping, right? Same for families. You will be faced with the trial of your faith. You've studied everything, they say, oh, now we need to come to a point where we need to make a decision. If I make this decision, it's going to be trying. You can choose not to step into that decision or by avoiding it, but when you step in, when you allow the trials that God designed, we sang, right? Actually, can we just quickly turn to the hymn 242? We sang, right? 242. This is such a wonderful hymn that describes this passage. 242. Was it 242? No. Uh, 212. Now, if you run away, if you avoid, if you choose the easy way out, then we won't grow in our experiential faith. Now, you look at, for example, um, verse, verse 3, right? Um, when through deep waters I call thee to go, God said, Go. And you thought, whoa, this is difficult. This is deep waters. This, this is frightening. I might drown. And then he said, the rivers of woe shall not overflow, for I will be with thee. And then you look at the last verse. Of verse 4, when, fire, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame will, shall not hurt thee. I only design. See, this hymn writer is wonderful, right? Sing hymns. I design. God said, I designed it. Thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. God is saying, I want you to be purer. I want you to shine like gold, like silver. When you go back and you look at your family problems, your job problems and all that, God says, I designed it. I designed it to make you purer. Now, I've met Christians, I'm sure you have too, many ways. Um, Those that have trials in their life, they tend to keep growing. Christians first became Christians were very, very joyful, then they grow. But when their life has no trials, many of them go this way. But the Christian that continue to have trials just keep going this way. You like trials? Remember this picture. <laughs> just remember this picture. Alright, I try to use Use a drawing to help you to remember. I try to remember myself. I've seen so many. When their life goes right, just reach your life go down. Then trials come. Then go a bit. Then go down. Then go. Doesn't go up. God say, I design. Alright, trying off your faith. So we learned that about faith. Now, very quickly. Question number 66. Oh, five minutes. I'll just give you the answers. I won't ask any more questions. Question number 66, which I lost. 66, divine biblical repentance. It is the 
changing of mind and heart towards sin. Changing of mind and heart towards how you view sin and turning away from sin to God. Okay? So we learn that definition. And 67. Now, so repentance is this. Uh, when you look at that sin, you don't like it. You don't want it anymore. It is a change that happens in your heart. Verse six, uh, question 67. I cannot expect salvation without repentance. Right? People say you, there must be repentance. Hence, my repentance is the cause of God's pardon for my sin. True or false? You repent, therefore God decides to save you. False. Repentance is also from God. How do I repent? When I've offended my brother, we studied that also. Repentance is not only to God. When we offended our brothers or sisters, we must go and apologize. Now, after you apologize, is it the end? Must you still go and confess to God? Still must confess to God. Please remember. Sometimes you say, okay, I apologize already. All sin is against who? All sin is against God. Even when we sin against our brother, we are breaking God's law. That's why we have sinned against our brother. We still need to confess to God. Right? You quarrel with your wife. You, 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 you um, did something wrong to someone. You quarrel with your husband or wife. And then after that, you just apologize. Sorry, our wife, sorry. After that, how? Still must go and confess to God. God, I'm sorry. I've sinned against your law by, by behaving like that towards my spouse, for example, or my children, or my parents. 69, good works. Why must Christians do good works? Write down Titus 3, 5 to 8. Titus 3, 5 to 8. Why must Christians do good works? Because God said we are saved to do good works. That is why. Now, this good works we studied also is not social work. It is, good works is obedience to God. Okay? It's obedience to God. That is good works. Um, how should the believer view his duty in doing good works? We studied many things. The first and foremost, um, Alex, how should you view doing good works? It is your duty or your privilege? Privilege. We learned that. Doing, serving God is a privilege. Christians must not look at doing good works in church as a duty and oh, why other people don't do it is a privilege that is how Christian must always view how else should he view he must be thankful that he can serve oh, that's privilege he, that good works um, strengthens yourself we studied how actually good works assures you of your salvation you know uh, there's so many things that Christians do. Outsiders will look at Christians and they cannot understand. Why you give money, give time, give energy, and keep doing these things? Then they say, do the church give you money? No. You must be crazy to do these things. Hmm? When you serve God like that, you know you're saved. Because no worldly person will ever do what you do. Understand what I'm saying? Next, it edifies others. It helps others to grow. It helps others physically also. You know, some people are poorer, some people have needs. So it helps others. And obviously, um, we must do it with the right attitude. Uh, that's what we studied. How must Christian view his good works? Do it with the right attitude. Don't keep grumbling, complaining, 
Do it with the right attitude, with clean hands and pure hearts. That is how we must serve God. Do good works. Some people do a lot of works. I want to say this. I know we run out of time, but I want to emphasize this. Don't ever have this idea, Christians. Don't ever have this idea that God, I have this sin in my life. God, can I keep this sin? Uh, but I will serve you very hard in church. I will do a lot for you. But just let me leave this sin. Don't ever have that. How Christians must view his service is clean hands, pure heart. It means every area of my life, as long as no sin, I must change. Don't say, God, I take this job. Okay, God, let me take this job. But I will serve you very hard. I will give money to the church. I will work very hard in church. Don't think that it's a barter trade with God. Okay? So please remember that. This is how we must view service. Now, 72. Hey, no. Perseverance of sin. Give an example of verse of Christian God preserving them to the very end. Philippians 1.6. Right? Um, God who will begin a good work in you will, will finish it. The author and finisher of our faith also. Right? Another verse. So Philippians 1.6. What do my perseverance depends on? Ask quickly. Uh, Howard, what does your perseverance in Christian work depend on? Very, very good. Faith and hope in Christ, what does it mean? It means you have faith and hope that God's decrees are immutable. God's decrees are immutable. means when God chooses to save you, God says He will keep you, believe that God will not change His mind. Your perseverance is not dependent on anything except that God will not change His mind. Understand that? God promised, He said, I will keep you, I will not go back on my words. The efficiency, the, effective, the effectiveness and merit of Christ. Please don't think that we persevere because of our goodness. And it is the, sorry, the efficacy and merit of Christ, what? How come we are preserved? Huh? Because there's someone praying for us because of the efficacy of Christ's prayer. Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us, right? That's why we will be preserved. That's why when he prayed for Peter, Peter denied him, but Peter was not lost. Right? Peter came back because Christ, God said, I prayed for you. Christ told him, I prayed for you. So the efficacy of Christ's prayer. And of course, the abiding spirit in our life, the Holy Spirit, and because of the covenant of grace. These are the things we learn. God made a covenant that is, He will fulfill it. Now, 73, last question. Preservation of sins can still mean that I will face what kind of judgment? Terry, what kind of judgment? Temporal or permanent? Preservation of sins can still mean that I will face because I'm preserved, I'm preserved free from judgment, but not free from what kind of judgment? Temporal or permanent? Temporal, right? We will still mean, it will still mean we will face temporal judgment. That is called chastisement. Huh? Huh? Chastisement. Don't think that just because God said, I will preserve you to the end, means God won't chastise us. On earth, there will still be temporal judgment. That is what we learn. And then I close. Remember, I drew here just now. I say, God's purpose will not be thwarted, right? But our life can be full of regrets. Don't think that preservation of sin means, don't worry, at the end, I'm going to heaven. Why does God want you to be living a life of sanctification? 
Number one, to glorify Him. Obviously, your life will glorify Him. Number two is so that you and I don't reap a life of misery and pain. God doesn't want that for His children. Which parent want his child to be constantly caned? The father said, I want you to have a good life. Right? So, the reminder is, a Christian, when we study this chapter, a Christian who knows his, he will be saved to the end must know that if when he continues to disobey God and keep going on in a certain sin um, of, of um, stubbornly choose to make a certain decision in life, he will face a lot of regrets. But I, I really close. Okay, I'm really close. The last thing I want to say is this. Mm, how should I say this? Preservation of sin means in the, at the end of your life, this is your life. This is your life, okay? This is your life. At the end of your life, preservation of sin means God will not let you go your way till you basically be lost and just totally useless, right? Preservation of sin means God, at some point in your life, before the end of your life, God will draw you back. God will draw you back. But if at this point you choose to be disobedient and go and make certain decisions in your life that can become permanent, know that one day God will draw you back. And when God draws you back, many decisions that you make in those years, they'll be here to plague you. But you will draw, be drawn back. I've seen so many because of this promise of preservation of sin. I've seen people who, when they're young, I know church tell me don't marry unbelievers. My friends all tell me don't marry unbelievers. But I think it's okay. Anyway, I'm saved, right? Marry unbelievers. Because of preservation of sin, if a person is truly saved, along the way, God will draw the person back. The person can backslide here. But when God draws the person back, the person will be very sad, right? Haven't we seen many? I, I want to serve God. I want my child to be godly. I want to bring the child to church. Husband or wife say, no, don't want. I want to go for church camp. I want to do so many things. No, don't want. God will draw you back. I'm not saying that God will not forgive you. Understand that. But the consequences will be there. And it's a very difficult life. God says, why choose like that? Just obey. Because at the end of your life, God will not want you to meet him a sinner that is lost. He will refine, he will draw you back. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't make those decisions which are at the end of your life. Because preservation of sin, God will draw you back and then you are carrying all those baggages then. But God will. These people, many, they come back, they serve the Lord, they are joyful, but also they always say, I wish I didn't. I wish I listened. Let us close in prayer.